AMA or happy iPhone 14 Pro week. Indeed, same to you. Yeah, happy episode 400. Same to you. Yeah, yeah, we've done <laughs> no, it. 400 is crazy. Well, I remember doing every episode, so no. <laughs> it's normal. It's very good. I remember some of them. Yeah. Well, thanks everyone for listening all this time. We're going to keep doing it. Uh, iPhone 14 Pro, we, have, we both have our iPhone 14s Pro in hand this week. We've had the weekend and uh change to play with them and uh learn learn all about our our feelings about them so let's jump in to the dynamic island mayo take it away <laughs> so the iphone 14 normal non-pro has basically no changes in terms of features the iphone 14 pro has three main areas and then maybe we can just talk about the, the colors and stuff at the end right so the big three features are dynamic island always on display and the camera changes so starting with the island obviously this is the thing that apple's pushing in all of the advertising it's their biggest visible change to the phone just by like glancing at it because now if you look at the top of the phone it looks different it's like a design change and while the rest of the phone hasn't changed outside of some color tweaks people will be able to tell what your phone is by looking at the top of the screen even if they don't know right now i feel like in a couple of months it will become pretty common like you know, cultural knowledge that, oh, the, the new iPhones have like a, a pill shape at the top rather than a little notch shape. Uh, so if you care about like the fashionability of it, then I guess everybody would be wanting pills. But just in terms of like usability, initially, the island is definitely more uh, in your face than the notch was. And obviously, it's hard to remember back to the early days in the notch because this was back in, you know, 2017 with the first iPhone 10. But I think because the the iPhone X style notch was always attached to the top of the screen, there wasn't pixels above it, it took less time for my brain to like ignore it. Whereas with the pill shape, because it does flow around, like the screen is technically above it, it feels more visible and noticeable. Now, almost a week on, that effect is definitely going away and it's just becoming you know useful when there's stuff that pops up on the screen, but when it's in its dormant state... Uh, it kind of fades into the background. It doesn't get in my way. It doesn't become a visual noise. So, like, the the fear that maybe it would be permanently more annoying and obtrusive than the notch, I feel like that is fading. Uh, it just seems like now, you know, when I'm scrolling Twitter, I'm doing something, my brain's like, okay, yeah, there's this black hole at the top of the screen, but you can just, you know, be blind to it, essentially, apart from when stuff is happening. But the interesting contrast to, like, the marketing and the reality is that, the marketing obviously shows the notch doing stuff or showing, shows the island doing stuff. It's, you know, getting timers, getting clocks, getting, you know, live activities popping up, music's playing, you see the waveforms, like all this stuff. That's what the ads are. They're like fast-paced, you know, pop music, beep, 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 stuff happening. The day-to-day reality is your island is probably not doing anything at all right now. Like, or it's got music playing if you're listening to something, you know, with the new playing in your eyes. So people that haven't got their phones yet or thinking about upgrading haven't you need to kind of like realign the like the marketing pizzazz with the reality of like most of the time you don't have second activities happening on your phone or stuff's you know ping-ponging around so a lot of the time the dynamic island will not be very dynamic it will just be a little pill shape at the top of the phone which is fine there's nothing wrong with it and if it was you know moving constantly it'll probably just get way too annoying and be a bit stupid so like i'm not saying it's functionally bad 
it's just you have to realign with the maybe the marketing hype expectations all those video commercials that zoom straight in on that island and they show it doing you know things all over the shop when it is doing stuff it's definitely useful but it's also not maybe like essential and i do think that over time, it will get more and more essential. But there are other ways they could have done this. Like uh, when we watched the iPhone 14, when we did like our initial reaction podcast to, to the iPhone 14 event, you know, I, a lot of the, at that time, everybody was going gangbusters over the animations and the transitions and the hype for the island was really high. And it's true, the animations are really, really nice. There's some great, fine, subtle touches in there that I very much appreciate. But you have to step back from that and think of it as like a functional thing. And a lot of the things that it does are perfectly serviceably and functionally achieved with you know the old UI of what, of what happens on the iPhone 14 where you have the little banners pop down from the top of the screen or you have notifications. So it's not like a, a steps change in revel. It's not like revolutionary, but it is better. I would say it is better. And it's, it's iterative, but it is definitely better and it's nicer. So like now when you get a low battery notification, it doesn't pop up as a big alert in the middle of the screen. It just you know expands out from the island at the top or if you're doing airdrop it just you know you get the little status at the top or apple pay looks smoother because it just kind of pops down from the top of the screen um and so like it is definitely nicer and i'm you know happy i've got it but i wouldn't use it as like a oh you have to upgrade to get this feature but like as your phones come for renewal as you come to refresh you'll get the island and i think you'll be happy with it is that approximately or do you think differently no, I think that's, I think I think the thing that you led with, which is the way it looks, and that is sort of a status of the newest iPhone. When I was updating my my daughter's iPhone uh, 10R to iOS 16, she had seen my iPhone 14 Pro, and she said, "I'm not going to have that." Twenty to the <laughs> island. Um, no, no, not that's hardware. Um, but I, I agree with you. I think the the like the most usefulness. I, I've had a few examples where I'm like, okay, that's pretty cool. Um, there, and I'll name this in a moment. The, I think the the first impression though is this doesn't do very much right now, and it isn't just that third party apps can't use it yet, or that Apple's first party apps haven't taken advantage of it. It's that there are a lot of occasions where it isn't meant to be used. There isn't a purpose for it in terms of taking advantage of you know the island as a feature versus just a um, filled in space between the camera and the other sensors. What I what I what I found practical is you know uh, you know if you're listening to this on your iphone right now and you have an iphone 14 pro then then you see the podcast up there um that, that's i like that of course and music um and even then you've got the whole you know learning how it works so single tap opens the app long press opens the controls this was picked up in the reviews last week um but in those you kind of you kind of have to get used to it to to realize that uh, your sort of muscle memory to create that muscle memory, um, but things like hotspot. So if I'm if I'm turning on hotspot so that my kids' devices can be on the internet when we're out and about, then it's right there as as an as a as right next to the island or you know part of the island. Um, so I, I like that. Um, but the, the hotspot doesn't have like a expanded view, right? You no, can only tap and, on it and it just takes you to settings. Correct. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly right. Um, one one thing that it has given me, and and so before the island, you 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 would get the green circle or oval behind the clock as to say hotspots active. You know, there's something active, which looks the same as a phone call or you know FaceTime call, but with with the it's just the icon, you know, the hotspot icon. And so 
it has reminded me that once we get home, so when, when we get home, we're on home Wi-Fi. It doesn't just join the Wi-Fi. You have to turn off hotspot for everything to join the Wi-Fi, um, which usually means my kids are complaining about bad bad signal, bad service on their devices because we're still on hotspot and not not having a good signal. So I found it easier to know that it's still running and to turn it off. Um, minor minor things like that, but um, you know, I, I guess they. Now playing controls that you get whenever you're watching like Apple TV or HomePod is playing, having those front and center is nice versus pulling down into control center and tapping on the the different tiles to get to the correct input. Um, it does mean, though, that like if I'm not watching Apple TV and someone in the home is, then my island becomes what they're watching, like the artwork for their show and then and then the control to press into it. So um, just just a behavior it has. But it's certainly not. Yeah yet something that's like you you have to have this it changes the iphone user experience so much um i I think at best it's like micro multitasking like a very compact multitasking um view so that you can jump in between tasks but for now it's just kind of fun and new but i do wish that there was like an assigned action that if there's nothing on the island then you long press it something happens besides just feedback to say nothing's going on you know i don't I don't know exactly what that would be whether it's something like the control center you know actions or you know, tiles or something else but I, it does it does feel like it, it wants to do more when it's just blank uh i would also say it it has made me wonder you know like nothing on with dynamic island is a new function that you couldn't do before. It's just things mm-hmm. rearranged and a different look to it, which is a very nice look when it when it's active. Um, but it it does make me think: Would I prefer this or no pixel or or, or actual pixels in the middle of the screen between the the two uh, sub islands of, of sensors, and just see that as part of the screen? I would be really interested in in trying it without the black pixels in the middle. And I mean, it's not going to happen, but without anything that the island does, you know, just say we've made the island. Oh, so you have no dynamicness at all, literally just have two holes. Yeah. 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 And it just works like an iPhone always has. But, you know, like I wouldn't choose that because I definitely, but I, I agree with you that it's not like, you know, an essential thing it's definitely in the nice to have category rather than the must have category if that if that's fair to put it like the integration of that because in like you say on the on the non-island iphones you have like most of the indicators come up in one way or another with like the red pill and the left you know over the time we have the green one or the blue one for for hotspot or, or airplay and stuff and like it's way nicer now there's a dedicated area in the middle where that stuff can reside and you can interact with it um but the tap versus like press thing is definitely an ongoing consternation that I, I don't know unsettled. whether they got it. Yeah, unsettled debate for sure. Because it firstly it does it doesn't help that some of the Apple's integrations do it differently. So like if you're on a normal phone call, if you tap on the island, well, it, so in the, when you're on a phone call, the island has like the the time elapsed of the phone call and it has the waveform on the right hand side and it's really again really nice details in terms of design throughout so like the waveform has both you and the recipient's waveform in different colors like bouncing on it and it's like a cool thing to look at but functionally it's confusing because with the phone app you tap on the island it launches you back into the phone app with the keypad on the screen 
But if you do a FaceTime call, whether it's FaceTime video or FaceTime audio, you get that same kind of waveform appearance when it's minimized. But when you tap on it, it opens the island to the expanded view with options. So like, why does that work differently to the phone app when it's otherwise identical? So like Apple has, and there's other options like this, for instance, like um, a screen recording. Screen recording doesn't have a dedicated app, right? Because it's just like a button and control center or um, but when it's so when it's in the island, you tap on it, it opens and expands to the controls of the island, uh, like the expanded view, because you can't tap and open any app. But then that means the tap and the long press do the same thing. So it's like that kind of discrepancy doesn't help the muscle memory. And even more widely, even if it was consistently tap always opens an app and long press opens the expanded view, I feel like when I'm using the island to its fullest, more often than not, I'm wanting the expanded view as the primary action so like now playing is the go-to example right because that's probably where most people will see the island doing something day-to-day use because people have music running or podcasts and so there it's really convenient to have it like showing up the top of the screen and then you can like quickly pause or quickly advance to the next podcast or the next chapter but you always have to remember to long press not to tap and it, i still a week in i still don't feel like that's the right way round. Uh, almost i think where they should do it is maybe like one tap opens the expanded view and then there'll be like an an app icon in that expanded view that then you tap again to open the application because so often that's what the the expanded view is what i want i don't want to go into the application if i want to go in the application i just click the app icon on my home screen you know yeah yeah i was i was thinking too how just the general public would discover how dynamic island functions and because it's right in front of you when it's active, you're not going to miss that it can do something. Um, whether you interact with it or not is another story. But I would say that it, it's, it presents itself as something that's tappable at least. And what's not as discoverable is long press. It, it's back to the 3D touch you know, situation um, where you have to know about it to discover it or to, to, to use it. You know, And with Dynamic Island, the tap functions, I think, everyone will discover on their own but the long press functions which is arguably the bigger utility those you probably need to know about unless you're someone who long presses everything and just or even if you know out. about it you just forget to do it sure yeah. yeah yeah and and what you're going i mean the expanding controls for now playing that's competing against swiping down into control center and using that tile right there. So you, you kind of want to be more convenient than, than the swipe down is because with just to swipe down, you've got access to those things. So, <laughs> And even, uh, I'd say even at an ergonomics level, because the island's at the very top of the screen, because that's where yeah. the cameras are, I find long pressing to be harder to do than just tapping because I'm using my phone one-handed. I move my thumb up to the top of the screen. It's more annoying ergonomically to long press that area than to tap it. So it's more it's even more punishing than, say, if it was at the bottom of the screen and you had to tap or long press. So that's why another factor I think that the long press, the current long press actions should probably just be tap actions. Like with yeah. the iPhone 10, the home then the home indicator, I feel like they kind of nailed those gestures out of the gate, but mm-hmm. I don't feel the same with the, the only gestures. Thing, the only thing out of the gate that they kind of got wrong and they I believe they changed, it seems like that, is uh, initially when you'd swipe between two recent apps, there you, you could have the most recent app be to the right of the app that you're in for a short period of seconds, and then it would become left of the app that you're in. Mm-hmm. And making that distinction 
required you to think about how long it's been. And so it was oftentimes when you want to switch between two back and forth and whether you were going left or right mattered. And I, I think now they don't even bother with that. It's just the app that you were just in is to your left in terms of a swipe, a swipe gesture. So um, the pulling and pulling in from the left. So. But overall, um, Home Indicator was like a home run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dynamic yeah. Island, not quite. It's like a nice, it's more, I think it's way less gimmicky than the touch bar was on the Mac. Because like visually, it's kind of similar to a touch bar, right? Just at the top of the screen rather than the keyboard. But because like for me, the touch bar never made sense because I always touch type. That means I'm never looking at the keyboard. The island is just off your field of view. Like it's not distracting me in your way. It's just there. And I also think other stuff they might explore down the road is like the the minimized view doesn't have interactivity built into it. Like so it just has like previews like the album art or the waveforms. But like seeing a waveform for your music is pretty, but is it useful? Would it be more useful if there was just like a direct play pause button right there in the island? You could just tap it directly? Maybe. So that's the kind of stuff I hope they kind of consider or evolve on but changing around the tap and long press situation would go a long way i think to just kind of clarifying it all and making it more useful and just kind of aligning with your kind of mental expectations of what's happening versus the reality and talking about the the clash with notification center so like it is more it is harder now to just swipe down from the top of the screen to open your notifications you open your notifications view and i think one thing they can definitely change is if your island is not doing anything at all you can long press as you said before and nothing happens right Mm-hmm. But if you if you start swiping from the island area, even though the island's going to do nothing, it still does the long press, like cancel, like little bounce effect rather than opening notifications. So I feel like if the island's completely empty and you start swiping on that island area, it should just convert that into a swipe gesture for the edge of the screen to get your notifications open. They can even do that when the island has content in it because tap and long press is different to a swipe. But right now, if you swipe in the island area, it cancels the actual swipe gesture you were probably trying to do completely. Yeah, so the best approach is to consider the right side, like if the notch were there, the right ear as control center and the left for notifications. I, I learned from you when we were doing a Twitter Spaces this week that um, an issue I was having was I'm so used to tapping the top center to scroll to the top when I'm at the bottom of a Safari page or something. And with with the notch, you could even just tap like right below the notch and it, it knew before the notch it was that you would tap the clock in the center um, and you mentioned, well, you can you can tap the clock on the left side and get the same effect. And so I've been having to retrain myself to do that um, because it's way better to to learn the new way or to learn new for me way than to tap the top between the island and the bezel and not nothing happen or get the wrong result. So um, a little, little retraining, a little bit of retraining there for me as well. Yeah, like it definitely clashes in ways that it probably doesn't need to do. And then finally, in terms of future evolution, I feel a lot of people are talking about like the fact that it's going to get way more useful in terms of iOS 16.1 live activities. I'm more skeptical about that because live activities have a lot of limitations, like what developers can do, like no interactivity, for instance, which is where I feel like I'm getting the most utility from the island is like the music widget that appears when you long press. And right now, at least for the iOS 16 cycle, the live activities won't have any interactivity at all. And they also don't have like as much support for cute animations and effects. And a lot of the value you get the island is just that it does stuff neatly and coolly. Like when when the um when you do the ringer switch, right before that would just come as a little banner at the top. But now it like it animates from the island. And when you turn the ringer on, it like bounces left and right. And when you turn it silent, it like gets really small. Like those details of animations really elevate what is just a you know a cool nicety into something that feels very premium and very modern. But all the live activity stuff won't be able to benefit from that very much at all. 
And we spoke about last week the limitation about foreground apps only, being able to initiate the live activities. I feel like that's another limit that's going to that's going to constrain this. Like, I guess my point here is I think most of the future benefit that will be gained from the island is advancements that Apple themselves make to complete mm-hmm. the island experience across the operating system. Because you do get the impression that, like, the island was made in a bubble inside of Apple with, like, four people. And then in August, they were like, guys, we're doing the island, you know, everybody mm-hmm. get on board. Because uh, it still feels like there's a fair amount of areas where they can tidy up, integrate the island more. And it's not bad for a first release, but there's definitely more they can do. Like a, an obvious example for me, which I hit in like the first day of getting the phone, is the timer, right? They show the timer as being a key example of, oh, you can have the timer running in the in the, in the the dynamic island. And yeah, you can. But when the timer ends, as in when it's going to fire, it leaves the island and just pops down a normal push notification. Mm-hmm. It's like, that just feels kind of disconnected and kind of silly. Like, why doesn't the island expand with the end timer state and you could restart it or cancel it directly from there which does happen for stuff like screen recordings or other things so again there's lots of inconsistencies a lot of it feels a bit work in progress like one bug that i always see is when you're doing the screen recording and you want to stop it so you like click on it and it expands there's a little timer that tells you the elapsed duration that duration never ticks up any further it's always stuck on like 15 seconds 15 seconds 15 seconds 15 seconds until you dismiss and reopen the island like, there's loads of little bugs like that that they're definitely still working through and i think feature wise they're definitely still figuring out different ways they can make the island do stuff of use like if you look at 16.1 there's already some pretty big changes there in how the island works like reachability so in 16.1 the island actually comes with you with reachability so it's actually available in the middle of the screen if you can't hit it and if you're in landscape uh, the battery status now shows on 6.1 where it doesn't 6.0 but there's plenty more landscape stuff they could do in general because most things for the island don't do anything in landscape at all yeah uh, not major functions I mean, one of these is kind of functional but I, a couple of things i really like about the island is when i put on my airpods airpods max especially the initial you know connecting to the phone automatically the island expands and shows the headphones on one side and the battery on the other. And that's kind of nice. I like that because if I'm putting on my headphones, uh, yeah, the, the AirPods Max, I can't turn them off. You know, <laughs> they, I, I kind of never know what the battery status is unless I unplug them from full. And so I like that. I can see, Oh, I've, they're at 20%. I, you know, I can use them for a moment and then in, in a little while and I need to charge them back up. So that's kind of nice. And then the other thing is just, the the super tiny artwork that you see from you know you're now playing music mm-hmm. podcast whatever i do like that even though it's so tiny and like you cannot discern what it says um I, I know what it is and it's just a little bit of personality on on the phone from what and I'm i think doing. it's way nicer than if they just had like a static icon of the music app there like definitely just having a little bit of per- extra personality does enrich the experience and when the track trains over like when it goes from one song to another the album like flips over with a really nice transition. Like all the little animations they have in that island are just really well done. Yeah, it's it's a very pleasant experience. The utility is you know kind of left out there to be decided. But um, I, and and then lastly, I wouldn't, I, if if you like if you gave me the option for another iPhone with an or without an island, I pick it with an island. Like I think with hard revolution, mm-hmm. they can make the notch like cutouts like the pill and the hole punch smaller and smaller and what will happen is future versions of the iphone the dormant width of the of the island will just get smaller but the functionality will remain the same mm-hmm. um but because i definitely think having something at the top of the screen that can assist you with status alerts and can assist you with you know simple multitasking is really valuable the exact like layout of the island is currently this big and this tall and this wide 
you know, that can change. But the, the mm-hmm. general concept, I think, is very sound. And I would happily, well, I, like, I don't think it's a mistake. I think it's a good thing. But the, the value is limited rather than like revolutionary. What one year from now, when we're looking at iOS 17 and we're looking at one year of work on this, I think this it'll be a lot more useful. Yeah, just I mean it, it could be that iOS 17 is like the first release that everyone on the team, like you were mentioning, is is clued into this and has time to think of ideas and and actually implement them. Um, I I do like because the notch is no longer the notch; it's now the dynamic island. Um, I can fit my carrier name on in the status bar T-Mobile <laughs> Wi-Fi when I'm at home uh, and it doesn't have to scroll anymore. So that's amazing. The first time I saw scrolling like that from a, a carrier name was on the iPhone SE, the first one, which was the iPhone five shape and size. And that's because iOS had been especially designed for iPhone six and larger. So that smaller screen size, four inches was no longer really a target anymore. Um, and it was sort of, I mean, it was definitely not optimized. Now, uh, because of this, it, it you know, I got my full carry there with no scrolling. So this is the first time that I feel like, oh, they've got a big screen. They're actually using it. And be- because phones are so big now, I mean, they are. Uh, it, it's it especially like, you wouldn't have the dynamic island on a 3.5 inch iPhone and feel like it wasn't in your way. But on, yeah, exactly. You know, whatever size phones we have now, I always forget. And you always remember uh, there's room for it without it feeling like you're losing space. For sure, for sure. Yeah, so I'm positive on the island, just maybe not as positive as like the hype train kind of set it off from the beginning, but I think we were quite metered in our first reactions too. So I feel like we judged this fairly well from from the offing. Happy Hour This Week is brought to you by Rogue Amoeba. Incredibly, Rogue Amoeba, Rogue Amoeba software is celebrating their 20th anniversary. That means two full decades of making amazing audio apps for Mac. If you're a podcaster, musician, or just someone who wants to listen to audio on their Mac, Rogue Amoeba can make your life better. Whatever you want to do with audio, it's a very good bet that they have a tool to help you. And as Zach can attest to as well, we've been using Rogue Amoeba software to record this very podcast for years. Piezo is a simple way to record microphone audio that gives you a little bit more detail than what QuickTime provides. And that's what we've used to record this show for at least 300 episodes now. It just works. But of course, Rogue Amoeba has a whole suite of Mac audio software, including Audio Hijack, which lets you record any audio from any app and mix it up with workflows and real-time pipelines. And they have their app Loopback, which makes it super easy to pass audio from one app to another. And SoundSource gives the Mac the sound controls that should be built into macOS from the beginning, with the ability to change output volume on a per-app basis. Now, Rogue Amoeba don't run gimmicky sales or discounts. They charge fair prices all the time. But... For this very special 20th anniversary, they're making an exception. For a very limited time, you can get 20% off any purchase from Rogue Amoeba to celebrate 20 years in the business. No special URL or codes required. Just visit macaudio.com before the end of September to save 20% on anything they make. Download the free trials, then buy online to receive the discounted price. Once again, that's macaudio.com for 20% off anything through the end of September. Thanks to Rogue Amoeba for sponsoring the show. Mac Audio, because they bought the domain because Rogue Amoeba can be tricky to spell. Uh, the, the 20th anniversary thing for Rogue Amoeba is wild because I've been using some version of their software since, well, for 10 years, which means half of that time. So it seems kind of wild for me. Uh, but yeah, check them out. Thanks for sponsoring. 
Next up, we've got the iPhone 14 Pro, always on display. I'll let you go first, Mayo. This has obviously been quite controversial because in the wider tech world, a lot of people are preconditioned on the always on display based on what Android phones have done, um, which is like a... They've set the standard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've definitely done it for smartphones for a long, long time uh, with basically a black screen and then very limited readouts of white text like the time and maybe a notifications counter, maybe a tiny little icon or something. And then Apple's come in here, all guns blazing, with like a full color, slightly dimmed, always on display implementation, which I think we were more like open to initially because we're used to it from the Apple Watch. But people that don't have Apple Watch like background come at this more from a more surprised angle because at a high level what the iphone is has done for always on display is identical to the apple watch implementation right you have your exact same clock face or lock screen and then it gets dimmer with some of the elements going away or turning to black and sure enough the iphone lock screen works in that in that exact same way you go to always on whatever your current wallpaper is it doesn't get completely blacked out it just fades and dims and you know with photos they have some like machine learning algorithms to kind of preserve skin tones and do a bit of other adjustments but overall you know at a high level the your wallpaper is preserved in always on mode it's just dimmer your lock screen widgets are there they're all the same you don't get the the torch and the camera buttons fade away because you can't like one tap them you have to tap the phone to wake it up and then tap the button uh but otherwise it's the always on mode is literally your lock screen and notifications popping at the bottom so you can glance at them and see them and if you wake up the screen then they like you know expand into their full descriptions when the phone unlocks so that is what the iphone has done that's what apple has done with in a classic apple fashion no customization no options it's just here's the lock screen you pick with ios 16 but now it's dimmer and it is a surprisingly bright always on display like you could very easily convince someone that the phone was just on if they haven't got used to it and it is dim like uh, someone i saw someone say that like oh you could almost get away with the phone being at this brightness all the time it's like no no it is quite dim and it uses the ambient light sensor to adjust how dim it is compared to your environment so like if you're in a bright sunny day the always on display will be quite bright like very bright if you're in a darker room it goes a lot more dimmer uh but i can imagine maybe if you're in that like high sunny brightness environment that yeah the always on display almost just looks like the screen's turned on to about 20 percent brightness because it can get up to that level of course when it's in that state it's using more power uh, so in general you hopefully shouldn't have it in that mode too long where it's doing the super bright always on display but you can definitely run it at the dimmer always on display states and not have much of a battery impact obviously people are still doing testing on how much it matters it seems to be approximately about one percent of battery an hour one to two percent you know so, again it's hard to get exact measurements here but like i feel like the the um Oh, it's not even one to two percent an hour. Yeah, one about one percent an hour. So if you if you go twelve hours, it's using about ten percent of your battery for the always on component. Um, and again, could be less, could be more, but approximately in that range. And for the functionality it gives, I'd say that's about right. Like I have an Apple Watch. I don't have an always on Apple Watch yet, but even if I did, I still think the iPhone always on has value. It's nice if you're just like if I'm at my desk working on my laptop, uh, which I'm doing, you know, most of the time with the screen in front of me. I have the iPhone laying face up. I'm not one of these face down people. I don't like putting the iPhone face down on a desk, so it sits there face up. I get a tap on my watch. Sometimes it's more convenient to just peer at the phone screen and see what the notification is rather than like turning my wrist all the way around to check on my watch screen. 
So again, you're always on display, a bit like the island. It's not like a life-changing experience. It's not going to turn your whole iPhone experience into something completely new. But it's definitely a nice to have, and I like it. Like some of these reviews, especially out the gate from like the people that got the embargo stuff, they a lot of the reviews were like, "We turned the always display on, the, the always on display off because we found it too distracting and we didn't like it." Uh, I haven't come down on that side of the equation. I think it's, I think it's cool. Uh, I like it. Yep, uh, it's not face down; it's ceramic shield down. By the way, <laughs> it's the stronger side of the of the phone. Um, I'm, I like it a lot as a new thing to play with. Um, I'm in the camp where I'm glad it's, I mean, I was surprised after viewing the keynote that it wasn't just white text on a black background. And we were certainly, you know, could, 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 you know, expected that, especially based on the implementation of widgets on the lock screen being different than widgets on the home screen, uh, it sort of set the stage for, oh, you can see that those parts will be lit and the rest won't. And what they actually did, um, if, if you use a personal photo, then I think you will get a brighter experience, just more color coming out of it than if you use one of Apple's wallpapers, uh, especially like like I, I've been you know trying out the uh, the ones that come with the iPhone 12 Pro and those they go from having like white elements to black elements. And so, you know, some of the feedback has been that it's hard to tell if your phone's on or off in certain environments. Um, and with wallpapers like that, I find that it's easier. The same thing's true for the, uh, the Apple Watch as well. You know, if, if you're using a photo background, it can be hard to tell if it's on or off based on, you know, if you're in darker lighting. Uh, and I, I did try like in a pitch black room, turn my iPhone screen all the way down and then lock the screen. So it goes to the always on mode. And it was like identical brightness <laughs> because it was already at its lowest point. Um, it's, uh, you know, I, I think is neat, but uh, and, and I was also, you know, I, I had this idea a few weeks ago that, w- you know, I wonder, will we think about iPhones and, you know, in years to come as they they feel broken if they don't always have, if the lock screen turns off, you know, you're like, well, that's a, that's a dead phone, you know, uh, in the way that, th- that the watch feels. And there's, there's also that Johnny Ive thing from um, the really good, uh, forget what outlet it was now, but it was the really good Johnny Ive interview after the Apple watch came out. And he talked about, you know, we, we look at OLED on, on the Apple watch and how it only lights up what it needs to. And, and it makes it instantly makes our phones feel old. And this was before the iPhone got OLED. I think that all. was a New Yorker interview. If I, yeah, cool. yeah, yeah, sounds right. And, um, you know, I mean, he's talking about OLED versus LCD at a time when the iPhone didn't have OLED yet, but, uh, I, I kind of feel like that sentiment applies to the always on display. And this is just thinking about it long term. That long term, it's it's just the technology exists. You can do this. You can afford to do this with with batteries and, and everything. And so it will feel that way. You know, it's like, why doesn't the iPad do this? And why doesn't, you know, I mean, the iPad with a big old battery. Why doesn't it always just have a, it's always on like a, like, like a, like an e-ink Kindle, you know, has a cover on it. So uh, I, I think that will be the long-term effect that we all feel from always on displays. It'll just be how things work. And that screen turned off is just a measure that you take when you want to get the most battery in a special situation. Um, think uh, things that have been sort of surprising about it. Uh, the like folks are saying it's too bright at night and that's kind of an issue for them. I like it as a bedside clock. The Apple watch has been this for a while for me because, you know, it's got that, it's got that landscape or more recently portrait orientation where you get the green 
uh, numbers on a black background. The, the, the like nightstand mode, that thing. E- yeah. Exactly, yeah. But even on an always-on display Apple Watch, the screen turns off. You just need to sort of like tap it or tap the desk or the table and it will pick up that and then light it up for a few moments. But um, the iPhone, <laughs> the iPhone is always on. Except if you're using wireless charging, if you're using wireless charging, it's it's on for a while. But when you wake up, it's turned off. Uh, and I don't want it to do that. I want it to stay on, you know, especially because like you say, well, if you if you don't use the phone for a while, it's on your desk sitting there. And like, I guess you could make the argument that you would just turn it off eventually. But I wouldn't like that. But especially when it's connected to power, like there's no concern about battery life. It's been at 100 for several hours and it's turning off for some reason. Uh, I think that is something that they'll change the behavior of. I don't know why it would do that, you know, wireless versus wired. Um, the other thing is, is I, I tried it with CarPlay, and with CarPlay, it goes back to the old old way where the screen turns off, which is a good safety feature. Um, it's it's nice that it turns off in your pocket, and it's kind of fun to play with it to like. It's, it's sort of like the refrigerator light, you know, like when you're, try, <laughs> especially when you're a kid, and you close the refrigerator, and you're seeing like. Like you, you wonder like what happens when it's closed. So let's try and beat it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So doing that, but with the iPhone always on display, um, something I've <laughs> entertained myself with. Um, face down is sort of like uh, I, I've tried like just having it face down for a while on my desk, like you know, on a piece of paper or something, or on a book, and um, just thinking like, oh, is this going to make the battery like way better? And I just haven't found that better life is an issue, and this is because I. Because of my you know routine, I have a little bit of time in the car on weekdays where I'm taking the kids to school and picking them up. Um, and I'd say in total, it's about one hour. And that's one hour where I'm charging the iPhone because it's connected to CarPlay over the wire. Um, so I just haven't had a I haven't had a need to think about is always on display ruining my battery or not. It just feels like it's normal, which is a huge relief because you could totally see it being a big deal. I think when the Apple Watch first came out. Um, it was like initially you would get a much bigger battery hit than then eventually settled into being. Um, it's nice that you, you shared a, a setting with me, a screenshot of a setting, which is um, you can swipe up from the bottom on the always on display mode where it's dimmed and it will unlock your phone and like go to your home screen. So it says, yeah, which the- is why when it's in always on mode, they still show you the home indicator, just indicate yeah. that you can still swipe as well. Yeah. yeah. What I, what I absolutely wish were possible. And I think, I think will happen in the future is that you they they stop they don't fade out the the flashlight or the camera they they keep it mm-hmm. showing and if you press on those parts of the screen you know long like deep long press then it po- pops open those those you know features same thing for widgets that if you tap the widget and it's always on you know dim mode that it would open that app if that's what it does because the Apple Watch did not do this initially the Apple Watch for maybe a year <laughs> was just faded and you could tap something and it would just turn the screen on and then you tap it again. And I, I think I flagged this as sort of like uh, kind of a head fake when it when it was first, you know, behaving this way at launch. And they changed it eventually to be if you tap on a complication, it opens that app for the complication without you having to tap again to turn the display on. So I think the iPhone should work that way as well. Um, I think in both the watch case and the iPhone case, they they treat it that way intentionally to just get a fair shakeout of what battery life is for people. Um, but I, I think it's totally possible technologically to do that now. Uh, it's just not, not how they decided to, to launch it. Uh, Cause it was a, it was a big deal functionally for me 
when the always on display was able on the Apple watch was able to, you can, you can touch the icons and, and launch something. Um, yeah, I, it I, removes I, like a big barrier because mm-hmm. what two taps becomes one tap. It, yeah. Which is like a huge difference. Yeah. And you don't have to just, you don't have to mentally decide, is it on or is it not on, you know, and sometimes it can be, um, you know, I mean, intentionally it can be, it, it looks the same. Um, when I've had fun like playing, like looking at the lock screen and like clicking the side button for power and just like watching it animate larger when it's on and, and then animate like shrink down when it's turned off. That's that's kind of a fun thing to do. I've changed my notifications to be uh, from the stacked view to the list view and to show previews when locked um, because just for the first weekend I was or first day even I was seeing where where I had that behavior before it was taking away from the utility of the always on screen, because I would still need to uh, interact with the phone and unlock it before it would show me more than say message from someone or alert from some app. Um, now it's able to ex- have the expanded list out and then show me things that aren't just obscured. So that's a, that's a change that I made for this, for this. Uh, and then I think the last thing for me <laughs> For, for the moment is that it it kind of feel like I kind of wish that if you were in an app, like I get that the always on mode is the lock screen, which protects you from accidental input or showing something that might be private, that it protects you from that. Um, but it, it kind of feels like, huh, if I'm, if I'm like in an app looking at something and the screen turns off, and I'm just looking at, I'm just like referencing it, then it might be nice to have it just go in that dimmed mode, but with the app instead of the lock screen. And that's pretty complicated when you decide, like, when would it do that? What should it do? When should it go to your lock screen? Yeah, what, what should it redact, not redact? Like, yeah. Right. Right. And so I think that's something that they will will not tackle. Um, but I mean, my, my main feature request is just treat it like the Apple Watch is today, where you can tap on an icon and it, and it launches the app. And um, especially for, the the camera control because mm. I'm I'm getting I'm I'm used to unlocking it from the swipe down or you know swiping up from the bottom unlock screen and then you bypass the lock screen entirely you know you go right to your home screen um, but I'm also I also have the muscle memory of you know touching that camera icon and and having it launch the camera and there is a disconnection when you can you 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 see your screen on you don't see the icon but you see your screen on and you're used to that same muscle memory and you have to wait you know i mean it's the exact same function as before but because you now have always on i think you want to have it a step earlier than it is you currently. want less as little delay as possible for sure yeah a couple other things i'll just point out like the the album art thing where on ios 16 they make like the album art big on the lock screen that was so clearly done with always on in mind because it just looks so good in that mode like such nice colorful album art and then when the song changes the you know your whole phone changes it just looks really nice like such a cool little feature um widgets so i spoke about this uh when the rx ios 16 release like the activity widget where it shows you activity rings that has the behavior where if the phone's locked it hides the rings as if it's like sensitive information but you know it's just progress of calories and steps in a day or whatever like i don't treat it as sensitive but the phone does and there's no way to disable that. And that issue is just even more exemplified with always on because in the always on mode, it's treated as sensitive data. So the I have the activity rings widget on my lock screen, but in always on mode, it's always grayed out as if I've got no progress at all. 
It's like, please just let me make it so the rings can just show the previous state. It'd be a lot easier and wouldn't have that weird popping effect every time the the, the phone unlocks. Um, some widgets, like the calendar widget, that defaults to unredacted, so you can see your next calendar, calendar event, something far more sensitive than, say, activity rings. But if you go into the settings, the face ID and passcode thing, there's a lock screen widgets toggle. If you turn that toggle off, you can redact your calendar. But the fitness widget... The activity, the activity rings widget has no control over that. It always disappears, which is kind of annoying. And then, again, kind of like the island, the always-on display is not fully integrated with all the places in the system where you'd expect it to be. So, like, they have a setting to turn always-on, on or off in the display settings, but you can't set it on a schedule. The only way to do it on a schedule is to use the sleep focus mode, which is kind of a pain. I don't really want to use a sleep focus mode, but... Unlike you, I do want the phone to fully turn off the screen at nighttime when I'm sleeping. So now I'm resigned to using the sleep focus mode and setting it to like, you know, 1am through 7am or something. And then on that schedule, for only the sleep focus mode, it does turn off the always-on display. But say I wanted to um, synchronize my always-on state with the do not disturb focus mode. Not possible. It only works with sleep mode. And as part of iOS 16, they added this thing called focus filters, where like when you go into the focus mode, you can turn on um, low power mode, you can turn on dark mode, or you can do those app-specific focus filter things, you know, like where in, email, in the email app you can only show certain inboxes. So that's like a perfect place where they could put an option for also controlling the always-on state, but there's no such setting for that at the moment. So you have to hack it through the sleep focus mode, which I really don't really want to use, but I guess I'm using it now just to make that happen. And it does work, and... As soon as the like time period expires, it goes back to the normal focus mode, the screen lights up again. So it does work, but it is kind of annoying and a pain. And then finally, for people that do just want a black and white lock screen, there is actually a setting in these focus mode screens called dim lock screen. And on the iPhone 14 Pro series, in always on mode, that dim lock screen fully dims to black. So you do kind of get a black and white lock screen option, but it comes with the downsides of you have to use the focus mode and the dim lock screen also applies in the, you know, awake iPhone lock screen state where it blurs out the lock screen content. So it shows that the implementation from Apple is there. They just need to give you a separate setting that isn't tied to focus modes and only works in the always on state for people that want a black and white lock screen. And I know I said I opened this kind of segment by talking about like in classic Apple fashion, there's no customization options, which is true. But also this is the exact same year they added loads of customization op- options for the lock screen. And so offering some options for the always-on lock screen does not feel like a huge stretch. But as of 16.0, as of 16.1, there basically is no customization. If you like the colorful lock screen, great. Uh, always-on lock screen, great. I like it, so I'm happy. But I can definitely see people that don't want it and they want something much more subtler. And there's no options for that today. Yep. I've tried just having my lock screen be black and the wallpaper yeah as by setting the wallpaper as color and then choosing the color as just solid black um and you know it is kind of cool like there is a cool factor to it and 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 just having the pixels light up that that presents information um but i for me i i tried that for a couple of days and for me i think just not having a, a you know a photo on your lock screen that you like is not worth it and you know so uh Couple more things for me on, on always on display, and then we can move on. Um, the always on display when I find that I'm looking for my phone in my bed, like you know, I left it there in the morning or something. When I was checking it, and I'm going in there, and I don't have the lights on because 
I just, you know, it's not what I do yeah, often. And I'm looking for my phone in there. I can see it instantly. I don't have to feel around for it. It's <laughs> useful. Um, man, I, I think that's, that's it. There, there, oh, the other thing I was thinking about is um, notifications. Another thing with notifications for me is that recently, like over the last month, I've used the scheduled notifications feature more, or the summary feature, uh, and really liked it because... It, it, it's sort of the medium between alerts all the time, whenever they happen or never, which is what I usually would have for most apps. And so I like the medium state where I would get information just when I just, you know, once a day or twice a day with the always on lock screen. I think I'm keen on turning it off and just turning on more alerts and just not having them go to my watch, which is, you know, it's more fiddly. You've got to go through and manage everything one at a time. But, um, I I don't like seeing me always in display with the upcoming summary or past summary of notifications. And then you've got to expand it because it's not useful just to see that it's there. And I don't like having, you, you can do where you don't see the upcoming alerts. And I did that for a while, but there's, there's some things that I want to be able to access. The ideal option for me would be deliver quietly which is what the mac can do because it hasn't been updated like the iphone has been updated uh but it, it's what predated these summaries where you could have it go to your lock screen but not make a sound and not give you a a, a banner you know in an app you have it's to just, swipe up to reveal it yeah right and so I, you know i think there's this is all this is all in the in the in the category of what they could improve for the always on experience in the future and you know hopefully over the next 12 months they do that we're also sponsored this week by Pillow. More and more studies are showing that getting a good night's sleep improves your health and well-being in more ways than you can imagine. And Pillow is an all-in-one sleep tracking app to help you be more aware of your sleep patterns and discover what might be affecting your sleep quality. Pillow tracks and analyzes your sleep automatically and you can check in with a full report of your sleep the very next morning. If you have an Apple Watch, tracking your sleep is as easy as wearing it to bed. If you don't, you can do it through the iPhone or iPad app. Just tap a button to start your sleep session. You can even record sounds of the night like sleep talking, apnea, or other noises that might be affecting how you sleep. Use the Pillow app to check trends, get personalized insights, and compare your sleep metrics with your weight, steps, caffeine consumption, and more. Use smart alarms to get woken up at the most optimal time, aiming to wake you up when you are in a stage of lightest sleep. And importantly, Pillow is privacy-minded. All of your sleep and audio data is encrypted and stored on your device and in iCloud using end-to-end encryption. Pillow is free to download from the App Store with a set of features that you can use for free every day. And try Pillow's premium features with a seven-day trial. Just visit pillow.app to get started. That's pillow.app to get started. Thanks to Pillow for sponsoring the show. All right, the iPhone 14 Pro camera. This is a big one. Like, like, really, it's big. It's a big one. It's a big one. I mean, <laughs> I was upgrading from an 11 Pro. Yeah. And the camera module still had three lenses, right? That was the first time they did three three lenses. Mm-hmm. But the new 14 Pro module is probably at least two and a half times the size. It is ginormous. The question like, is, yeah, are the pictures that I get out of it two and a half times better? I'm 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 undecided. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, the, I, I, yeah. I like the size of the overall uh, like camera um, mountain. It just feels more serious, and, and that, and, and you just get the sense that they're not making any const- like uh, they're not making any they're not having any concern over size. Really, like they're doing, they're going beyond the thickness of the phone 
in a big way. <laughs> and I like that. Yeah, it's so thick now, and I believe this is the true last year too, in that the cases have a lip on the outside, which means they don't, even with a case in your phone, doesn't lay flat because it's like ridged at the top. Yeah, the trick is, is kind of annoying. to go caseless but use the Apple Wallet, and then I think it's it sits on the wallet instead of the camera. You put a couple of cards in it. But not, I'm just caseless yeah, I'm right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll go first, I guess. Sure. I've, I'm not a camera expert. I do like photos, but I'm not like a... I don't have a DSLR or anything like that. I don't have external cameras. I only use iPhone photography. I can only really compare to my 11 Pro because I haven't owned any of the iPhones in between. And obviously, the iPhone has always had camera improvements year on year on year. So a lot of the change that I'm seeing is obviously from the 12 and the 13 generations, not just the 14 generation. It is 100% true that going from 11 Pro to this camera, to this camera system and the 14 Pro is a significant difference. It is way better the ultra wide is way better. Telephoto, uh, maybe a bit further. better. It goes further. It go, yeah, it goes <laughs> further. It goes to three X. Um, but the main camera is obviously where all the the interest is because that's the one with the forty megapixel sensor. The, but the iPhone camera app, by default, is only shooting twelve megapixel JPEG. When I take 12 megapixel JPEGs, it's supposedly doing that pixel binning thing, right, where it's looking at four pixels and then choosing the best one to extract detail and extract noise and reduce noise in lower light conditions. Mm -hmm. I can definitely see that the photos in lower light are undoubtedly less noisy, less grainy, more detail, less of that kind of mosaic effect when you zoom in, which means there's less like software noise reduction going on. Compared to the Pro, it's definitely night and day, to, to use the pun of it, taking photos at night. When you're in daylight shots, it varies. So, like, sometimes when I'm in the 12 megapixel mode, I take a photo and I could almost be mistaken for it just being an 11 Pro shot. Like, it doesn't look that different. Almost identical. You'd have to be really, really, like, pinicky to find a difference. Other times, I feel like the iPhone 14 takes an incredible photo that would never have been possible before, even on, like, the iPhone 13, uh, 13 Pro series. And then I think, oh, I'm probably getting some of the benefits of the pixel binning. But it's inconsistent. Sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't. At least that's my experience. When you then go in and turn on the RAW options, which let you unlock the 48 megapixel photography, every RAW photo I've taken immediately looks like it has way more detail in it. Way more detail. And, and when you zoom in, there's like not very much noise, not very much, you know, uh, artifacting. The whole point of the raw photo is that Apple's preserving all the photo information so you yourself, after the fact, can go and edit it and tweak it to your heart's desire. But I was doing some side-by-side -side shots, and again, I've only had it for, you know, six days or whatever, but still, in my testing that I've done, the raw default photos were lit, brightness, contrast, saturation, I'd say almost identical to what I would take with the JPEG mode on the iPhone camera app. The difference being, it's uncompressed 48 megapixels, so they're just way more detail in the photos. Like... What I don't understand is why the 12 megapixel mode is like nowhere near as detailed when you shoot in 48 megapixels. I feel like it's got this whole canvas of extra detail just sitting there. But I don't really want to shoot my whole life in 48 megapixel mode because those photos are huge. And so my biggest takeaway from the camera app at the moment is why don't they offer like a 48 megapixel JPEG option? Yeah. Like, yeah. Why is that not an option? You can you can do Pro Raw in 12 meg or 48 meg, or you can do JPEG in 12. But why can I not shoot like 48 megapixel JPEG? Or why is the pixel bin 12 
not as good as like a 48 megapixel raw scale down because i feel like if i took any of the raw shots I've, I've taken and just did a like put them in pixelmator down res them to a quarter their size and saved them out as jpeg i feel that like they look better than the same photo if i took it in the same spot in the jpeg mode from the camera app in the first place and i don't really understand why there's that discrepancy that's your feeling, huh? And, and you're looking at these photos on your Mac display, so it's larger mm-hmm. than just the iPhone, and you're zooming in. You were telling me that whenever you zoom in, it even takes a second to kind of load in all the information, and then it clears up really fast. So, uh, Like, sometimes I feel like the pixel binning is working, and other times mm-hmm. I feel like it's doing nothing at all. And I can't really tell you why or how or what reason, but then I go into the raw mode, which is supposed to be like it's the it's the opt in mode because it's meant to have like some rough edges or like you've got to manually control stuff, right? But so far, every picture I take in raw mode, it just looks unequivocally better. It's like apart from the file size difference, which again I feel like it would be fixed by just shooting in JPEG rather than raw. It just feels why don't I just shoot in that mode the whole time? And there is a, like a couple second delay when you take the photo, but it's not like ginormous and there's also like a like there's like a one delay where you take a photo before you can press the shutter again and then there's another delay when you go into the camera roll and it takes like another few seconds to fully process but like the camera roll delay most of the time i don't couldn't care less about because i'm not immediately clicking on to see the picture just taken the shutter delay is a factor but the pictures you take out of that raw mode are so much better than the jpeg mode in i'd say about half like one out of two times it's like way better it's like this i don't know what they've don't know what priorities they were like what things they're balancing but it just feels like the 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 standard camera main camera on 12 megapixel is not taking full advantage of that sensor because you'd show raw photos and it just seems like a completely different lens so yeah i think it's converted you into someone who shoots raw and, and that leans more toward professional um <sighs> but i don't for- want to shoot raw <laughs> yeah i know uh i have the camera is the first thing I play around with, you know, and I go, I go out, I, you know, took some sort of like nature walks and just shot as much as I could. And, um, my favorite thing about this camera system is that you have zoom range from half X to three X. Uh, and I love that because the T X looks really good and it doesn't feel like you're digitally cropping or anything. It feels like, you know, you're, you're using 12 megapixels out of the 48, um and so i love that because there's such a big difference between there's such a big gap between one and three x and then and you know it's not in any way redundant to have two x there so and i I posted some photographs on the site of just examples of this is the different zoom levels this is what you get um so i've been really happy with that with the raw feature uh i've shot raw just a couple of times to see this is what the 48 megapixel uh, photo looks like and there's the obvious benefit of being able to zoom pretty far in. And I mean, you can, you can zoom, you can make a 12 megapixel image that's super sharp out of that and, and crop out semblance of the image. So, so that part I appreciate. Uh, I, I can't say that I've been, you know, eagle eyed enough to notice the pixel bending effect. Uh, and maybe it's happening like in low light, what you mentioned, um, I'm just not picking up on it because I'm not doing a side-by-side camera comparison. Yeah, you do have to zoom in. Like, sure. default zoom, you probably can't tell, right? But go, like, at the weekend, like, just go outside and go in your garden yeah. or whatever and just take a, like, a... Because you can toggle pro, pro raw and off in the, in the iPhone camera app just mm-hmm. with that button in the toolbar, right? Just take a raw shot and take a non-raw shot and then just, like, let it sync to your Mac and look at it on your laptop. And I feel yeah. like, in most cases, it, it's, like, night and day difference in terms of, like... And maybe they're just, like 
over sharpening it or something then it gives like a placebo effect of looking sharper but i, I promise you it just looks better so mm. yeah. yeah yep um so, but but uh, i think the 48 megapixel impact i i think maybe like I, i'm i'm just not i'm i'm not going to be shooting the raw photos a lot beyond just testing it out um maybe if i'm somewhere that's like a huge massive scene that i want to capture just big landscape then i'll then i'll do that but you know obviously day to day i won't and i think a lot of the times i i won't so uh, for me it's it's the, the benefit there is the real benefit there that I'm the I see is that you have two X. That's super sharp, you know. Yeah, because really I'm good. coming from the 11 Pro, which had a two X lens. Yeah, so you just so, gained three X. So I just gained three X, which I probably won't use as much. But yeah, yeah. Like, having two X the... there as twelve raw, as twelve like actual megapixels is really nice. Yeah, I think my I think I had 11 Pro Max, which was or was it 12 Pro Max? One of them that had two and a half X when the that iPhone, was the 12. Yeah, yeah, the iPhone 12 Pro didn't have two and a half X. It was just the Max that year. Mm-hmm. And then the next year they all went to 3x and then this year they have 3x and 2x and so i went through the whole phase you know all the stages and this is obviously the best one <laughs> i like it a lot um yeah the the front camera has autofocus now i don't know if i've noticed that happening or anything but it's there what do you think about I, I, i'm guessing you haven't used this yet but photographic styles have you tried that yet i because that's that's an iphone 12 feature right originally yeah yeah i flicked through them but i just landed on default standard i don't want to like i want natural and to feel like standard is the closest to natural yeah I, I i did standard for my you know share these shots and, and of the different zoom levels <laughs> online uh, most of the time i like the vibrant setting that makes it more samsung i guess but what it's because a lot of times i'm editing i'll do the auto edit on a photo and it just looks better to me as like it makes it more vibrant by default um i i have done the deep contrast mode a few times as well like when i think that um uh, it the scene calls for it and i'm i'm and that so i've gone between those two primarily over the last year but standard I'm, i've been using that just to get like the straight out of the camera without any edits to the way it shoots uh mode but i think i'll probably go back to using vibrant most often and then deep contrast when i feel like it's doesn't need to be vibrant it's better as a, a darker image did you try the video thing the uh what's it called action mode yeah i tried action mode i tried it i was in the woods on a trail without an apple Watch ultra and uh, i uh was just walking quickly at first and then i tried a little bit of jogging um I, the, the thing is i haven't gone to test it on the same phone without action mode it looks pretty. I mean, it looks smooth. You can tell it. It's, it's not. It's not like what it actually perceives, which is you know jumping around. Um, but I, I think your point to me it was also like the the camera's got pretty good optical image stabilization, and that that comes through when not without action mode. So I really need to try it without action mode to to get a better appreciation of action mode. Our colleague Aaron had said that it seems to be like a lot more noticeable when you're doing something like running than when you're walking quickly and jogging uh that the more motion there is the more you appreciate the action mode that it, it the effects are stronger um gotcha, and, gotcha yeah and i tried it at 2.8k i also you know it's just been a week or less than a week with the phone so i also want to do some experimenting and see if the hd version is even 
more <laughs> gimbal-y. Yeah, because I mean, in general, action mode is like a niche thing where I feel like most use cases, you could just use the standard video yeah, stabilization and, and be and all right. And it's not like a separate camera, like cinematic mode is a separate camera option in the little slider. And action mode is a toggle at the top of the the the, the video camera. Um, and then and then I've I've you know I've changed my my cinematic features to be 4K. <laughs> so uh, I'm I'm playing around with that now. You know, and I think I think when I use cinematic mode the most, without just like the initial try it out, uh, is when I'm just filming my kids doing you know they're, they're talking to me or something. Or last night I was picking up my daughter from gymnastics and she wanted to show me a a flip and so i thought eh, this, you know i'm not going to do anything with this video but, but just kind of collect it and so i did cinematic mode in that moment and yeah that's cool <laughs> yeah but and remember this year because you can do cinematic mode in 4k if it, if it messes it up and it does terrible like artificial blurring you can always just remove all the blur and just have a 4k video like yeah. how portrait mode you can always take away the portrait mode effect and just have a photo last year cinematic mode meant shooting at 1080p which was a lot more you know, destructive if you didn't actually want the effect and it's messed it up. Yep. And one, sorry, one other thing I should mention about the main camera, it, the the minimum focus distance is noticeably like longer, shorter, whichever way is worse. So like if you're basically, if you go close to an object, the 1X camera goes blurry out of focus a lot quicker than I noticed on like the 11 Pro. And it's that means it switches to the 0.5X ultra wide a lot faster doing that automatic macro mode. So just for sanity reasons almost i put on the setting where you see the macro indicator you know that whole that whole ferrari from last year about having the on-screen button or not but the fact is if you have your iphone in 1x you can be like 20 centimeters away from an object and it will switch the 0.5x and sometimes you might not notice and you actually want the 1x anyway and i think like the automatic switchovers may be slightly too conservative because you can push the 1x lens naturally a bit closer before it goes super blurry but the minimum range is, is definitely shorter and so be aware that it does more optimistically switch to the 0.5x camera like the for, to do macro essentially and so if that's something you're worried about i've put on the macro indicator button thing so it makes it very clear that okay now i'm in the macro position yeah, and you've had ultra wide but not macro before, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 And then, and last thing before we go off on the away from the camera setting is, is talk is that, um, you know, we mentioned forty eight megapixels raw or per raw is the only way you can do it on the built in app. Uh, Halide has had an update where you can do forty eight raw plus JPEG, uh, which is, I mean, that that's wonderful. It's great and. Uh, needs to be needs to be an option for the built-in camera as well it's kind of like how when they had the ability to do multiple cameras you can do you know any combination of of the four cameras that are lens that are on the phone um and you've got oh, like two a, cameras at the same time with video or whatnot yeah, yeah yeah you have to use a third-party app for that that's still the case you know <laughs> and i think for that reason like it's not it's not discovered as, as often as it would have been but um yeah I mean, there, there's the argument about putting too much complexity in the camera app, but I'm pretty sure they've, they've gotten to that level anyway. Like when you have to swipe the bottom bar to see the timer setting, like you can you can add in these features, these settings at least. I mean, <laughs> if you're going to have app. an option for 12 megapixel or 48 megapixel RAW, I feel like offering an, a third option on that screen, which is 48 megapixel RAW plus JPEG is not a huge leap. Right, and the like the Photos app has has support for, for JPEG plus RAW. They'll show you a single image. And then you can decide, I guess, when you do export, you, you figure out which one you want to use. But, um, you know, 
that's that's been the case for DSLRs the whole time, and and now you can do that with Halide, but or Halide, but but not with a built-in. Happy Hour is also brought to you by A Logic to celebrate the launch of their new Clarity 4K display, and 95Mac is teaming up with A Logic to give away the latest generation. M2 MacBook Air, so keep listening to find out how to enter the giveaway. The A-Logic Clarity 4K Monitor is a sleek external display for your laptop. It features an expansive 27-inch 4K panel with wide viewing angles and a thin bezel surround. The display panel is covered with high-quality glass for a beautiful glossy finish that helps make the screen look even more vivid. On the back of the monitor, you'll find a full set of I.O. to easily connect to other peripherals, including two USB-A ports, USB-B port, two HDMI ports, display port, USB-C, and audio out. And because you connect to the monitor with USB-C, all of that I.O. is connected with a single cable that also features up to 90 watts power delivery to keep your laptop charged. And it comes with a completely adjustable metal stand with pivot, tilt, and swivel. You can even rotate the whole display to portrait and it can detect that automatically. So that's the A-Logic Clarity 4K monitor on sale now for $799. And it comes with a high-quality A-Logic Iris webcam for free. Learn more using the link in the show notes. And if you want to enter to win the M2 MacBook Air, just follow that same link in the show notes and submit your name and email address. The giveaway is open to listeners in the US and Canada. Thanks to A-Logic for sponsoring the show. What do you think about Space Black? The you have it. sides, i.e. the stainless steel sides, amazingly black. It looks so nice from the side. The back looks identical to my space gray 11 pro like the the color and the shade is almost identical because i think with the 12 and 13 they became even less gray and more brown graphite when they went graphite Graphite, yeah yeah Yeah. but the the space gray 11 pro is the same as the space black 14 pro in my eyes yeah well it it helps that the back is is mostly camera which is black yeah anyway (laughs) that is true that is true yeah yeah, I, I I've got a space black as well, and um, it's I'm 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 glad I got it. I'm glad I got it. I, I was my my instinct was silver. Silver was harder to get on day one, and uh, so I've got black. Uh, and you haven't. I, I'm I'm guessing you haven't been out to stores and seen the other colors like purple. I have not been out to see yeah. the other colors. So I I picked up my iPhone from from Best Buy, and they had two iPhone 14 Pro Max displays and deep purple both of which were locked down to the point where I couldn't pick them up and see the back. So I saw the front and the sides and I got a glimpse of the back. I, I even like took out my iPhone and used the selfie camera to try to get a picture at least of the back of these phones. But on, at least on day one, you couldn't actually pick them up and see the back. So that's, that's best by for you, I guess. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I, I got space black. It's not just the boring color this year. It's, it's the, it's, it's sharp. It's nice. So, um, have you what, got a what, case yet, or are you going caseless, or what are you doing? Totally caseless so far, which is how I usually am. Usually, usually what happens is I'll buy a case and I'll never use it. So, <laughs> uh, this, this, this I, I'm, is, I'm not risky enough for that. I yeah. put cases on mine, so I'm it's, currently using the Mujo M U J J O leather black leather case. It's very very similar to the Apple leather case, except it comes in black because the Although Apple now does a space black iPhone, the color options are midnight for yep. the darkest option, which is bluey. So, but the Muju case is very, very similar to the Apple leather case, apart from it has a Muju logo on the back rather than the Apple logo, and it actually comes in the black color. So I'm happy. I with think that. I think my favorite iPhone cases were for the iPhone six and six plus when they the, the leather ones 
and this is before they introduced clicky buttons to the case. It was just the leather in the shape of a button. Uh, and I, I know everyone loved the addition of buttons. I love the, the clicky buttons. Yeah. Uh, I didn't have, I mean, you, you did mash harder, like press harder on, on the non clicky buttons than you would otherwise. But I also just love like the, the natural nature of, of an all other case with an open bottom and, uh, you know, the shape of buttons are hung over your buttons. <laughs> <laughs> um, but and I, and I always wanted that case for an iPad as well. Like take that leather case and just make that for the iPad, and that would be very sleek. But um, we're 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 gone from those days with the new shapes of phones and iPads. Ugh. Okay, a couple more miscellaneous points from me. Again, it's hard for me to say whether these happened with the thirteen to fourteen or somewhere in between. But speaker quality noticeably better compared to my eleven Pro. Just sounds fuller, richer, louder. Display definitely brighter. I know obviously this year it can go up to two thousand nits in the sun. But even in general use, I do think the screen looks slightly better than the 11 Pro did. Um, and the bezels are thinner, which is nice. The heat, the warmth of the phone, mm-hmm. like, I feel like it doesn't get as warm, but there's a there's a clarifier here. That was when I was not running the beta. So that I, I, I set up the phone on 16.0, obviously updated to 16.0.1. The phone is very cool Quired. to the touch, even doing, um, you know, crossy road and you know video capture and some strenuous activities the phone stayed very cool on the 11 pro it definitely felt a lot warmer um it like the the phone just heats up more quickly however now i'm on the 16.1 beta the 14 pro does get quite warm so that might just be a beta bug but that's what i've seen so far and that kind of corresponds to battery life too so when i got the 16.0 and 16.1 after the photo library finished syncing and stuff i was very happy with the battery life on this phone definitely better than the 11 pro now that i'm on the beta seems like the battery life slightly worse so makes sense don't know what to make about that <laughs> yeah un- unreleased software is unfinished i guess uh the the coolness of it all like, I- iphone's getting hot is always an issue for me especially caseless like sometimes i have put on a case because it just feels so gross in my hand when it's just super warm and it feels like oh, just let me put a layer between me and this thing um if i need to use it but um yeah if you go caseless it's especially hot especially the steel bands they get they get warm um anytime they upgrade the highest level of brightness on an iphone i'm always excited it's like oh this is going to be the one where i can read no matter how bright it is with sunglasses on um and i think this is the first one where i felt like i wasn't disappointed (laughs) in the results so um love love the display like for me i think my two favorite things are 2x and 3x on one camera and the brightness those two things together um you know the always on stuff i think is like a a longer term thing to really value and appreciate but it's it's the 2x camera with 3x i like the island yeah i I put the island above the camera for me i I think it's forgettable for me i mean it's it's not a um like the camera probably has more practical advantage to a daily life because i.e the pictures you take are going to look better but the fun factor the island i probably put it above the camera like this phone generation 14 it's not like a huge step change and i wouldn't if i was on a 13 i wouldn't be like begging to update in you know in a one-year cycle but that's fine that's normal you know apple's not working to that kind of clip these days if you've got an 11 for where and I'm going to 14, I was happy with the upgrade. But I still think if you're an average person, you could have probably pushed it even further. The 11 was still working. I could have used that for another year, gone around and, you know, 
another another cycle around the sun. So, but I think that's just kind of how where we are with iPhones at the moment. Like it's not like crazy crazy revolutionary things every single time. I love promotion by the way, but obviously that's an iPhone 12 feature. Yeah, uh, iPhone 12 Pro feature originally. Um, but yeah, like if you wait, if you don't upgrade, if you have an 11 Pro and then you wait three years, there's a lot of upgrades on one go. If you upgrade every single year, it's less impactful. But I definitely think the island is here to stay. It's not like the touch bar is not going to be completely useless and go away. It's either going to be as useful as it is now, which is nice as like a little status indicator and a little like music multitasking tray and has a lot of potential to get a lot better down the road as Apple just implements it more across the whole system. And I fully expect it will make its way across the entire iPhone lineup within a couple of years. So, I, I think I'll, I think Promotion was last year at the 13 Pro. Yes, oh. it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Y- your memory yep. is blurred from not having these things. <laughs> I know, I know. It's all because the 12 was 5G. So, which, yeah. I still use this. So, I use 5G every day. Five, five gooch. Five um, gooch. Let's see. Uh, I, oh, here's my thought that I was losing. <laughs> I think the bigger difference when you're buying phones or even deciding on upgrades now isn't from generation to generation it's between pro and non-pro you know because yes like i had 13 pro last year switched carriers and and bought 13 to save some money and was really didn't feel like like money wise it was wonderful um save a few hundred dollars but uh functionally i i I really got it, you know, really got the lesson that I value the, 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 you know, any kind of a telephoto lens and even promotion that promotion was like, not just nice to have, but it's just a really good quality of life improvement on using your phone. So, um, that, that's the, you know, if you're, if you're choosing between any of the iPhones in the lineup or even upgrading, like maybe I, th- I think if you go from a pro to a non-pro, you need to firmly know that that's the thing you want to commit to. Um, and I think if you are ever on the fence about pro, just go pro anyway. You know, it's worth it in the long term. Um, and, and I'd rather get a pro and not yeah. upgrade for a couple of years than save mm-hmm. the money and then upgrade more frequently. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Which or, obviously or, Apple's happy with whatever you do because they make money yeah. every single way. And the other thing to mention about these phones, the emergency SOS feature is coming in November, right? So Satellites can't try that yet. Car crashes. Can't try the satellites yet. I don't know if you're ever in areas where you don't have no-no signal, but it's always it's a nice little feature, especially while it's free. Like It becomes a different question when you have to start choosing when you want to pay for it or not. But yeah. at least you're getting that feature. For us, they haven't announced it. However, when you did the setup process in the UK, it was localized. So the text said it like advertised all the emergency SOS features, you know, like car crash detection, and just general emergency SOS mode. And it had at the bottom, coming soon, emergency SOS via satellite. And it said in the UK, it said coming autumn 2022. Whereas in America, it says coming fall 2022. But they haven't announced it for this country yet. But they might do by the end of the year. But for now, it's only US and Canada in November. We, we do use autumn and fall interchangeably, though. Well, I know yours was localized to say autumn, but we do use interchangeably. Yeah, Apple tends to say fall, right? Yeah, in the US, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so do most people fall. It's easier than autumn, but yes. So yeah, that's um, the... Mm-hmm. So obviously you can talk about the SOS experience come uh, November and you can... Yeah, I was going to say... I, I live in the, a trouble. Yeah, I was going to say I live on the Gulf Coast of a southern state, but if I go, you know, 45 minutes north of the water, it gets pretty rural pretty quick. So I'm sure I can find some dead spots and try it out. 
so yeah iphone 14 pro i'm happy i bought it i'll happily ride this out for another few years but as always the modern iphone lineup stick with what you got till it gets nearly broken then you can upgrade and you'll be happy that's my general that's been my general advice for the last three years probably finally this week happy hour is brought to you by urban armor gear urban armor gear makes superior protective accessories that allow you to take your tech further urban armor gear creates quality rugged protective cases for all of your essential devices including the iphone 14 range each case from the new iphone 14 and iphone 14 pro collection features premium materials and premium protection for your device their new lineup of cases has something for everyone including cases that offer seamless compatibility with magsafe chargers apple pay and most qi wireless charging pads if you want to show off your phone Try the translucent Plyo series, or go subtly rugged with the civilian range, or go extreme with Pathfinder collection, or opt for something playfully simple with the soft touch silicon dot case. All cases come in a range of color options, so you can find something that matches your personal style. Urban Armor Gear is built to go further. Shop the new collections for iPhone 14 and more at urbanarmorgear.com. That's urbanarmorgear.com. Thanks to Urban Armor Gear for sponsoring the show. Now, now some for some grab back stuff. Uh, I, I like that I can use my MagSafe battery again without having to buy anything for it. So that's cool. Um, there's also been a uh, number of what you you know call gates out of the gate. So <laughs> what what are those? What have those been? Yes, yeah, so there's been some. Some of these are so one of the ones iPhone 14 Pro specific is the camera issue. This is the camera sh- rattling, camera um, rattling, camera shaking bug that went viral over TikTok and social media at the weekend, where some people's iPhones were, and this is specifically for the Pro models, uh, they were fine in the camera app. But if you use a third party app like Snapchat or TikTok, you'd take a video and it would be like visibly shaking, and like the video being shot would like be very jellyified, and you could physically hear the camera module rattling around if you put it close to your ear, like pretty scary stuff and originally it seemed like maybe it was like a hardware issue uh, but apple has said that no this is actually a software issue relating to the optical image stabilization firmware and there'll be a software update to fix that next week so if i, I my phone is not affected by this or at least it doesn't seem to be it's a bit weird how it only affects some um, and not others but i mean apple hasn't said like don't use your phone in that time but i wouldn't uh, poke the dragon i wouldn't be taking loads of video and having my camera module shake like crazy because that amount of violent shaking i feel like could maybe have hardware damage if you did it too much so just don't use a third party app for a week if you're afflicted by this that would be my my advice uh, also there was the copy paste bug this is a at least affects the iphone 14 range maybe affects other phones too it's a very complicated situation but basically the ios 16 includes this thing called copy paste protection where if an app is pasting on your behalf, i.e. you didn't press like a paste button, the uh, system would present a dialogue saying, Are you? do you want to allow this app to paste, yes or no? So that's fine. But what wasn't happening over the summer and what has happened on the iPhone 14 models and maybe like 6.1 beta uh, is that that dialogue was popping up every single time you did a paste action, including user intent. So like you'd copy and paste something from Safari, you'd go into messages, you'd tap, you'd have that little like black pop-up menu you press paste and then it'd be like are you sure you want to paste you'd be like yes and then you do the exact same thing again are you sure you want to paste yes uh zach wrote a very funny write-up about this on the website over the weekend and again apple has confirmed that this is something they'll be fixing in the next week update if you're on 16.1 beta 2 you don't have this bug which is nice 
somewhat related to that was a three finger bug so this is something that actually cropped up with ios 13 where they added a three finger gesture to access the undo menu at the top of the screen in like this little pill and with ios 13.0 it you could do a three finger gesture in any application and that menu will come up and that would conflict with games especially so, or like a music app like imagine garage band where you go into the keyboard and you put three fingers down to play a chord well that it conflicts with the three finger gesture even though you're not doing any text editing operation uh and that would be annoying similarly in a game it'd be more annoying because it'd be covering your content dropping touch interactions if you're doing like a rhythm game like tap tap revenge that kind of thing you'd obviously lose your high scores and all that sort of stuff well that was fixed in 13.1 back in the day this bug returned in 6.0 but again it's been fixed in 6.1 beta 2 there was also some bugs with the iphone 14 where if you restored from an icloud backup sometimes your iphone would just be a black screen and it wouldn't work properly until you did like a hard reset by holding down the buttons uh, the GPS was also messed up on the beta. Uh, that's again fixed on 6.1 beta 2. So basically, there's been a few bugs out the gate. The biggest one was definitely the camera shaking, rattling stuff, and the clipboard thing. Clipboard was big because that one affected yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. The camera thing didn't affect me either, but obviously that's like a scary thing when you just spent $1,200 on a new phone and it's yeah. freaking out. Uh, my, headline for, my headline for that story was iOS 16 would like your permission to paste and paste again and also to paste parentheses. Hey, want to paste? <laughs> And yeah, there was quite. There was a funny thing where someone sent an email to um, Craig Frederick's email, and they got a reply from an Apple executive like, "We haven't been seeing this behavior internally, but we will look into it." Yeah, just check Twitter. Yeah, just like <laughs> buy an iPhone 14 and try and use it, and you'll very quickly see that the copy paste yeah. thing is messed up. But some people get confused because it was listed on the iOS 16 like features page as like copy paste protection is a feature. It's like yeah, that's a feature, but it's only meant to be for when an app pastes on your behalf, i.e., and that could be malicious. And not not generally malicious because a lot of the times an app tries to paste to be convenient. So like if you have a Reddit link and you open like a Reddit client, it will just take you straight there by reading yeah. off the pasteboard. But they brought this in for the potentially malicious use cases where apps were just reading your clip or content without you knowing. So now there's a dialogue for it. But the bug was that dialogue was also showing when you, the user, was explicitly pasting manually. So that will be resolved. Uh, it's resolved on 6.1 beta 2 and obviously that'll write to everybody with a bug fix update next week which will also include the camera rattling stuff so that's the that's the bugs out of the hashtag gate yep um some more grab bag stuff this this uh this this week we've uh we've we've tried the uh, apple wallet orders tracking feature uh this is because i (laughs) i bought the lanyard for i bought the encase branded lanyard for airpods um Mostly because I'm buying the Air, the AirPods, I think I mentioned last week, uh, and I want to use, you know, I just want to get the full the full AirPod experience. Not super proud of that, but I did. It's only thirteen dollars, but anyway, I bought it from Encase's website instead of Apple's website because it was shipping instead of not shipping as soon. Um, and I had the option to add it to, well, I guess automatically because I used Apple Pay, it added it to the wallet order, the new order screen. And, um, and that's pretty cool. You know, you still get all the emails and everything that you'd get otherwise, sometimes at the same time, but because it's using Shopify in the background, uh, that's how it's, it's supported on, on day one. Um, and then a fun thing is that I was, you know, they've got a share, a share sheet with the order tracking stuff. And so I just, you know, try it out, shared my order dot (laughs) order file with you and you added it to your wallet and now we both get updates about the progress of my um, 
Landed. Yeah, I can see right now that it's on its way. <laughs> yep, hasn't changed since the first day or so. Second day. <laughs> but um, yeah, like, like this thing is cool. Yeah. You get it, you know, it automatically yeah. happens if you do a Apple Pay purchase with a compatible merchant. It will just show up in your wallet. It will send you notifications when you get tracking status updates. The design when you click in the wallet app and look at the details is very like rich and pretty and the the in case example that we're doing isn't even using all the functionality like you can have like qr codes and see a map and all this stuff uh so it's very a very cool feature that will just depend on support from retailers obviously and shopify is a big like e-commerce platform that powers a lot of websites they have like some automatic level of integration so a lot of websites will get automatic support through that we're still waiting for like the apple store to support it uh, <laughs> which would be nice uh, but yeah, it's a really cool feature. You get push notifications when it arrives and when it when the status changes, and you can just see a little order history in your wallet app. So it's a very simple thing that you don't really have to like configure or manage. And there is a funny thing where if you do share it, you can send it to somebody else, and they can also see the same updates on your order, which is quite funny. I think it's the, the first new wallet app feature since the Apple Card. Uh, roughly, I don't know if that's true. Uh, and then lastly, you wanted to mention the iPhone 14. Yes. So obviously the iPhone 14 has no external design change. It's identical and boring. But in terms of repairs, it's actually pretty different. So if you open up the iPhone 14 and iPhone 14 Plus when it arrives on October 7th, what you find is a completely different internal design. So previously, the iPhone would open like a book facing upwards. So like you take the screen off to the left and then all the components would be on a logic board visible on the in the right hand body, right? That's how the iPhone 13 works. That's how the iPhone 12 works. That's how the iPhone 14 Pro and Pro Max work. But the baseline iPhone 14 has a different design now where it opens from the back. So you can actually take off the back glass and the front glass, leaving this kind of like mid-frame section where the logic board is. Now, you may be wondering, what's the point? The point is you can now replace the front glass and the back glass cheaply and easily without having to rebuy all the components in the middle. So... If you break your iPhone 14 on the back, the iPhone 14 Pro on the back, and you take it to Apple, their only option is to replace the entire back of the phone, which is everything but the front glass and the display. So that includes, you know, the logic board, the processor, the cameras, the storage, the lot, and the actual physical chassis. And they will charge you about $550 for that because they're basically doing like a whole device replacement. But on the iPhone 14 and 14 Plus, because the mid-frame structure is now in place you can get a back glass replacement for only like $150 because they're only replacing the back glass. And this also means that if you're a third-party repairer, they can also offer really cheap back glass replacements now, which they never could before. So I think this is really cool. They've just they've done a pretty big internal design change to a phone that they could have just done no changes at all and probably made even more money based on economies of scale. But they've made a change. It improves repairability. You can now replace the front glass and the back glass and the way they've done it uh, retains the structural rigidity of the old design, uh, but it just makes it a lot easier to repair. And this might have some interplay with the self-repair program where Apple is now making phones that are slightly easier to repair on your own. So you can replace the front display or you can replace the back glass basically quite easily without touching any of the mid-frame components that have all the like the expensive bits on. So two thumbs up for me. You can't complain. It's a pretty nice little change. Meanwhile, on the iPhone 14 Pro in the US, which is eSIM only, there's been the teardown of that by iFixit and they've revealed that in place of the SIM tray internally is a plastic space yeah. holder. <laughs> it just is like a little cube. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Um, and, and you know, I, I'm in America. I have an eSIM only iPhone. Uh, it is nicer not to have the 
the slot on the side, but you still have, I think is maybe US only, the millimeter wave yeah, window, which only, looks, yeah. like a, looks like a SIM tray anyway. <laughs> so I don't know what the benefit there is besides just Apple wanting to push eSIM. Oh, obviously, the benefit is they can push eSIM this year. Then maybe next year they can make a design where they don't have an eSIM. They, it's eSIM worldwide. And then they can yeah. actually use that space for something useful like more battery or some other component then this year it's just a it, it's just a political move to help push the international carriers along to get into shape and actually support it so then then they can make an iphone design that can actually use the additional space from the removal of the sim tray completely but for this year in the us it's just a bit of plastic that does nothing at all filling the gap yeah they're just signaling and is it is it correct that in China it's still like there's not eSIM and you still rely on dual? I don't know, but that sounds right. Yeah. 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 Okay. Fun. All right. That is the Happy Hour podcast for this week. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe if you don't already. Give us a rating, give us a review wherever you listen to your podcast. You can subscribe for a monthly fee of $4.99 or an annual fee of $49.99 for the ad free version. And thanks to everyone who supports our sponsors. If you'd like to give feedback to Benjamin and I, you can email us together at happyhour at 9to5mac.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at ApolloZach, which is A-P-O-L-L-O-Z-A-C. And Benjamin, you're on Twitter at... B-Z-A-M-A-O. And we'll be back next week. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.